1: Welcome to Retail Corner, I am Shelja, and this is my third episode and today I am with a guest. Please welcome Sakit Saram, he is the CEO of Nexla. Nexla is this extremely unique company which is in the space that we hear a lot about, data, data management, uh, data operations, what it is, how he got there and such a superlative career we are going to hear. Welcome Sakit. Hi
0: Shelja. very nice to meet you and thank you for the kind introduction.
1: Okay great so firstly Rachi I'm from Calcutta Oh so okay. let's go back to your roots Rachi St Thomas school and yeah. the steel city how was the experience at Rachi do you go back often apart from the covid thing
0: Um I do I have a lot of family still Oh
1: so you are still the Rachi boy
0: Yeah yeah okay. and I think uh, we share a lot of um the common bonk culture with Calcutta so
1: yes absolutely oh I have been actually my family I think some somebody from uh, my family used to work in Raji a lot like the road construction and things like that so I remember a lot of uh, stories about Raji a lot of my friends from school days in Calcutta used Uh to so you were probably two years junior than me I looked up so okay yeah, so I passed out high school in 93, you passed out in 95. So yeah. not. So I'm sure if we actually, you know, do the typical Desi thing and deep dive, I'm sure there will be a lot of common people <laughs> between Calcutta and- I, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your jump from Rachi to, you went to IIT? Yeah. So the experience from Rachi to IIT, was that something that was already ingrained in you or you you were just one of those kids who knew exactly what you wanted to do in life?
0: um i've always been a tinkerer as a kid and um being attracted to an engineering oriented career was just natural to me my dad was an engineer as well and that did land me in iit and um i was already fascinated with computers by then um, by the time i went there my dad used to work in software so yeah um the whole experience um um you know became about how to use technology initially for the sake of it and then more so about how it you know, is an important part of the ecosystem. And we'll talk about how we play that in retail
1: as well. Okay, so then your jump from IIT to water. Right. or Stanford and then Wharton. Uh, Again, that was a culture at home or it was an individual understanding of you because of your friends. Because in Calcutta, Ranchi, these kind of places uh, and our generation at that point of time, the, the idea or ideology that you want to go abroad and study was always there with very limited number of students for various reasons. What was your journey? like? How did you get into it?
0: I think it was always about, um, I want to solve some hard problems and difficult challenges. And I think IIT did give me a taste of that. And at the time in 99, when I was graduating, um, the complexity of technology problems you could work on was much higher in the U.S. than in India as far as computer software and technology was concerned. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, that did uh, you know lead to, lead to the transition. And mm-hmm. I was uh, very fascinated with um, how something works, including mm-hmm. like how computers work, how they build, how they scale. So that led me into a few different startups where I was working on the lower layers like operating systems and stuff into mm-hmm. companies like NVIDIA because mm. again fascination with video games and performance of games got mm. me to work a, a bunch of my career over there mm. um, but the desire to um, create mm. which is what is the sort of thing eventually translated into becoming an entrepreneur which is like look you know I see a problem I want to solve it that's the basic thing right okay. and that eventually I think led me to the path of entrepreneurship which is Um, you know, I want to go solve that problem. And Wharton Mm -hmm. was basically the thinking that um, um, I was already in the San Francisco Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley, working in all of these companies. I had been um, on the side taking courses at Stanford because learning is just a natural thing for me. My Mm -hmm. mom was a teacher. I don't know, whatever, but it is just that thing about um, what trying to learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, at some point I was like, I want to focused a couple of my, you know, years, um, you know, properly into transitioning from being an engineer who is building technology and solving that problem to an entrepreneur who's like solving, you know, a a broader, like overall a business problem.
1: Okay. So I did notice on your LinkedIn that you, you did, you worked in Nvidia for about five years. Then you was Rubicon. You did a bunch of different types of work in the tech space, and then you jumped into data, the whole big data so in nvidia or in rubicon what were the elements that you were working on that helped you understand that okay data is the big thing and i whatever i'm doing here at the back of my mind that 80 20 rule of google if you had to follow in my private time i'm going to focus on data what was about data that struck you at that early age
0: so um NVIDIA was a lot about compute, how fast can you process things? And that translates into video gaming, how realistic can a game be, Um, and all of that stuff. Now, the entrepreneurial side of me was already, even in NVIDIA, I was working on new business initiatives. I got into their early work on automotive and mobile and PlayStation and all those things. Um, The... um, the post-Warton experience about starting the company landed me in, um, into, so I started a company in the advertising space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built one of the first mobile ad servers out there. We became part of Rivikan project and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, advertising turns out to be a highly data-driven ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are people seeing? What is engaging with them? And it was one of the earliest industries with huge amounts of data. If you look at a lot of data innovation coming from like Google and Yahoo and Facebook Mm -hmm. has been because they could capture that data, tap into it, and then ask questions of it and say, hey, if I show an ad to this person, are they likely to engage? Or what should I charge you know, mm-hmm. somebody to show this ad, for example, if you are buying an ad, ad, ad slot. So um, Rubicon became, so R- Nvidia was all this compute, how can we compute a lot? Rubicon was about how can we deal with data at a high volume? Um, our system was doing 300 billion data records a day. You mm-hmm. bring that two together because a lot of data doesn't work without a lot of compute. And naturally, for me, the thinking was, well, it is a complex problem more industries need to work with data. And I could see that sort of benefits that we were seeing in advertising Mm -hmm. uh, world. So it was natural that some solution has to emerge, which can handle the data, which can handle the compute. Uh, And the third leg that got attached in that experience of building the company was that it has to be simple. Hmm. It has to be simple enough to use because there is no way there are enough engineers in the world to solve <laughs> everything. Okay. Yeah.
1: Contrary to what Indians would say, the number of engineers that pass out and are not with jobs. So that's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but but thank you for uh, pointing that out. So basically, what I understand from you is that you always had this innate kind of tendency to go towards looking at problems and trying to solve it. So mm-hmm. problem solver is an innate habit or a DNA that you've had for a long time that kind of helped you in deciding which path you want to take. If yeah. I had to sum it up. Great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. So Mo- Mob Smith. Is that the name I'm pronouncing it was, that was the by... startup
0: I created in 2009 yeah.
1: so the, the, so I see a lot of you you looking at different types of data and from there then jumping on to you know the, the journey from uh, employment to entrepreneurship. That is pretty much like taking a leap of faith, like skydiving. You know, you're standing at the edge of the plane and you have to take that jump. For you, was that an easy decision or all the work that you were doing was working towards starting something on your own? What was was, that uh, journey like? Yeah. Yeah. I think in
0: many ways I was heading in that direction. The first job that I had in '99, I quit in four months to join a startup, okay. and uh, it didn't work out. It it died in the dot com crash, mm-hmm. and uh, the but the lessons were there, and and those lessons were like understand how an organization is built and run understand how technology works that happened at nvidia and then understand how to build that and kind of get learned of systematic way that was what so um yeah mob smith was kind of natural at that time for me mm-hmm. to say okay mm-hmm. i think i am in the right place to start a company um, okay. fortunately my wife was like fine you know if you don't make money for five years that's fine i'll give you five years to try out okay. and that was you know that gave me the All the ingredients that was needed is like the trust from family and the desire to do stuff and feeling prepared to do that.
1: Okay so let's talk about Nexla. First tell explain the name. How did you think of Nexla? What does it mean?
0: Uh, Nexla actually derives its name from a combination of two words nexus which is basically a common point where things come together and um, the idea that um, and the word labs So next and LA and of course, you know, being able to buy and find a domain is an important part of naming a company. Um, So the thinking there was that what we were working on or thinking about was at the intersection of various things. Um, And, um, because i was still ideating that's how the name came in now one of the things i would learned was that um names should ideally be two syllables for a company it's easier for people to say mm-hmm. and if they don't already mean something very specific then it's easier to give meaning so if my company's name is u-haul then i'm a towing company there's no other thing you can do so um so some of those things sort of came in to uh, to defining that and and next lab became and if you see you know, kind of our logo as well, like I have my mm-hmm. hat here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two swooshes kind of uh, denote data in and data out. Oh, okay. um, Because that's where we sit in. We sit in at the center of data coming in and data going out for things we work with. Yeah.
1: So, Let's now talk about what nextla does. So, I went on your website, and of course, very overwhelming. There are like a lot of services. You <laughs> service a lot of big companies. And while I was looking, three case studies that jumped out, right? And I had talked to you, uh, briefly interacted with your team. So, one was Instacart. One was Vita and one was Poshmark. If you could quickly tell, like instead of me saying it, if you could quickly tell in two, two lines what these three are, and then we will jump into it, how it actually helped the relevant customers use these case studies, what was the benefit, and then we'll talk about the future of what 2022 means for your company and this whole industry.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I'll probably shed a little bit more light because across our customers, customer base beyond mm-hmm. these, uh, the specific case studies kind mm-hmm. of you know, sort of comes back to that sort of concept of Nexus much better on mm-hmm. uh, the next side. So, um, you know, Instacart is the leading uh, grocery delivery company in the US mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a company that, you know, if you as a consumer, you go to their app and you say, I want to deliver, you know, these things or get these things delivered. Um that experience, underneath, as we can imagine, is powered by Instacart knowing what products are available in a store. You know, before they dispatch someone to with a grocery list, they have to know that you know this cereal is available in the store in this aisle, two units are there, and so on. So, the, at the basis of Instacart is a lot of this data that they get from various merchants across the country, across different categories. And uh, next slide is the company, or the data layer, the technology layer that sort of sits between. Instacart and all these merchants. So mm-hmm. our job is largely to say that every company out there defines their data differently, mm-hmm. uh, call things differently. They have different ways of defining coupon codes or prices or you know something is per pound. All of that data is so diverse less job is to unify that into something systematic and feed into Instacart system so that now they have one clean data source to go, you know, list on their website or, you know, do all the things that they do so well. Okay. Um, so that's, that's where the Instacart story is. Um, and that's the data angle there. Um, if you think about somebody like Poshmark and, you know, our other customers who are, uh, you know, um, a retail, you know, in a pure play way like Bed Bath & Beyond or... Poshmark, completely online marketplace, data plays a role in many parts of the business. right? So if you think about um, any retail company from the point where they acquire a customer to somebody finds a product like a recommendation or discovery um, to them going through a a transaction where they're buying something and and waiting for an item to be delivered. So order tracking, uh, logistics, which is the delivery, all of those parts are data driven. So for Poshmark specifically, it was uh, the initial story was very customer centric. It's a highly customer focused company and the data that helps them better understand their customers, you know um, how to support them better. So, you know, again, millions of users and the data, Uh, And our job, again, as the data platform is to make sure that the data, which is residing maybe in a customer service system, you know, where you get requests and tickets and all that. And the data that um, um, the data science team needs, which is in a particular system, in a particular format, all those things are interconnected properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, it has expanded into many types of data for them.
1: Correct. So I I noticed that you have, one of your big services is data connectors, because one of the problems that a lot of people have, and based on my understanding of the retail industry, is that retail has been in our ecosystem for hundreds and thousands of years and there are a lot of old companies who are still large are understanding the value of data now and are now scrambling to find companies like let's say there is some POS system which is 30 years old and there is some system which is 20 years old so you have these connectors so it doesn't matter if let's say if I'm a retail company with 40 stores but we have some really old uh, solutions and new solutions so could you uh, shed a little light on your connectors and what are these connectors used for and if you could just give some example of a real life problem that you were able to solve because of these connectors
0: correct so i think of an example right if you think mm-hmm. about a retail business
1: mm-hmm.
0: um the data is is in all parts so you you're absolutely right there's a lot of legacy system it could be mainframes running you know back in there, and mm-hmm. there's point of sale data, which is very real time. Like in the store, you charge a card, and then data goes in and says this customer bought these things. There's that data. Then before, even before that, before the customer gets to the store, there's data that comes from advertising systems. You are showing them an ad, maybe on Facebook, and showing them a product, and and you're trying to be as accurate as possible. Um, there's Google search data that comes in, what are people searching for, and so on. So there's that data that is coming in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we see, you know, reviews and ratings. They become an important source of data for companies to better understand, you know, and serve their customers. Recommendations, if you are um, recommending, mm-hmm. if you look for something, you get these recommendations, they're also driven by data in the back end to say. What should we recommend this person, right? Hmm. Um, what is happening? And then, you know, once somebody buys something, then it's auto tracking. You get an email and you say, oh, my package is on the way. It's coming in two days and and all that stuff you do return. So every part of it sort of is moving information around. And um, uh, today's uh, modern companies are... Um, I would say for the first time in a place where technologically they have all the capability to compete with someone like Amazon. For all these years, many of these companies did not have the technology to compete with that. They could not do delivery in, say, a day or two days. But now you have a DoorDash or Instacart which you know, is a delivery sort of solution. They have all of these things. So um, so data plays a role in all of these parts. Now, where does the connector come in? The connector's job is to really be able to take data from any system and move it to any system, right? So uh, let's see an example, right? Somebody goes into, um, uh, you know, into say um, a DoorDash or Uber Eats or Instacart, they order a product. There's data that is enabling them to even know what product is there. Um, for a, for a merchant who gets that order, they have to maybe package it up or or be know that you know somebody's gonna come pick up and all that stuff that has to go down to the store level. So it's coming from some website or app, going into their system, going down to the store level, informing somebody that to package the product. And when the when the thing is picked, then remember the delivery guys will send some data back saying, okay, it was delivered or now there's a financial transaction happening between these two companies. What did I pick from you? What I delivered, how much money do I owe you and all that stuff? So what we have seen in a practical way, is that these things are happening much faster because of connector technology. Um, Store decides they wanna partner with a delivery company. They have to expose some data to them. They have to be able to get data from them. Before this used to be, well, we're gonna write some code. That code will fetch the data. There will be code that will get the data back it's all happening automatically like literally in hours we have had Mm -hmm. our customers go live with these systems like in two days because they can connect the systems test it out and do it so the practical examples down to the customer come back to that experience that they get
1: fantastic so uh, now looking at 2022 like you know uh, 2020 and 21 given what Mm -hmm. was happening in the world a lot of companies had to reformat their whole strategies to get ready for the new world now the way things are happening now with Omicron and every few weeks you are seeing some mutation happening. This is the new reality where every company, whether it's a retailer or a company like yours who is working with retailers to make their lives easier, are looking at a hybrid model. Now, from your point of view, you have obviously studied and understood over the last two years how the retail industry has completely changed on its head upside down. In spite of the e-commerce thing, there was a big shock Mm -hmm. to the system. How did you get ready to create a system where you know as a businessman that for the next four or five years, this hybrid model is going to continue and you have to be ready to be very agile given the circumstances that we live in today. How are you uh, using your team who's probably scattered all over your resources, your investors? How do you keep everybody happy, create the balance and yet figure out that the next three, four years you have to completely maybe constantly innovate and be ready for the world what and how do you manage to do that
0: yeah there are two parts to this right there's what mm-hmm. is happening in the retail world in general and in specifically and then what's happening to work in general for technology companies that that can afford to even be remote so um retail i think is going through one of the most innovative phases um you know, ever, maybe in the last 20 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it is a combination of a few things. First of all, this industry pressure was already there from Amazon. So everybody who's not Amazon has pressure from there, right? At least exactly. here. Now, um, COVID came in and completely changed the equation because now going to a store became a challenge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for various restrictions, right. And suddenly people's behavior changed that, you know, they, um, all these ideas of curbside pickup and delivery and all those things started to just grow very rapidly. The third thing that has been happening kind of underneath has been the whole sort of data thing, because when we think about any retail company and compare them to the most advanced ones, whether it was POS data, whether it was returns, whether it was delivery of items in one or two days or whether it was just the overall customer experience and how sophisticated it is. Technology was, they were a little bit behind in technology in various parts. Mm -hmm. Now, A combination of solutions have happened. For example, there are these checkout companies. Mm -hmm. Checkout from a new retail company you never bought from was painful. Now it's smooth. You know, you just go on your phone and you're able to buy without name and address and credit card and all of that stuff that was you know basically a barrier. Mm -hmm. So the way we have prepared for that as a company, specifically to retail, is that Next actually works with a very broad set of retail. Uh, companies and technology companies. If I look at retail itself, you know, Bed Bath Beyond is using Next If I look at marketplaces, mobile for social, Poshmark, you know, is a good mm-hmm. example. If you think about recommendations that customers companies provide, Bloomreach is a user of Nextcloud because a recommendation company also consumes a lot of data and pr- applies their intelligence on recommendations. Mm-hmm. If you think about customer experience and loyalty, jotpo is a technology provider they also use nextla underneath as a data platform uh, if you think about logistics companies like narvar that do order tracking they mm-hmm. use next underneath if you think okay. about delivery companies DoorDash and so we have been fortunate to be plugged into various aspects of the entire retail experience and that is allowing us to level up and give a much smoother experience back to the um you know to okay. our you know to the retailers and and therefore their end customers. So oh. one preparation was that again back to the connectivity ability to connect and provide our customers with that you know confidence that they can put all these things together and you know create something better mm-hmm. and compete in the market. From a general business perspective, from a preparation side, I think you know we are fortunate in the technology industry that uh, it is even possible to work you know remotely. There are industries where you could not. Yes. I mean. Yes. If you're running a restaurant, you are not, you know, running working remotely or in retail. If you're in the store, so we are fortunate for that. What has obviously helped us is the fact that you know a tech-savvy, um, you know, team means that we're all able to work remotely, collaborate. I would say that. I hope this is temporary because the face-to-face, the person-to-person yes. interaction, and the sort of relationship the build, that it builds and the trust it creates is hard to replicate. I think we are absolutely. all getting by and waiting for the time when we can. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. We'll end up in that hybrid state. Right? I don't have to meet somebody every single day in the office, but hopefully we are doing that, you know, often enough. So, um, um, I think um, you know, yes, a distributed workforce across Europe, India. US and even South America now. So we are, you know, uh, there's a lot of coordination that happens from a time perspective, but I think we are figuring it out as we go. Yes, I think everybody is. Uh, It it
1: definitely gives me a lot of comfort for the fact that I am, if I am clueless, I can see that the CEOs of the fan companies are as clueless. So that gives me a lot of confidence (laughs) that at least other people are as clueless.
0: I think we have all or hopefully learned to um, accept the uncertainty You know, in a sort of a meditative way to some extent, you know, whatever happens will happen. And our job is to just do the best at the time that we can.
1: That's a very spiritual philosophy. I'm sure you have a lot of spiritual philosophy going into your company as well to try and keep things at bay. So, um, what I want to now get into is a little more quirky, fun, dystopian Mm -hmm. future. You know, I'm sure you are aware of the metaverse and the big Mm -hmm. VR industry and the AI industry. That's where kind of I live. Like, I don't live in the real world. (laughs) live in the virtual world so when we look at the digital twins virtual influencer you know the digital avatar so and the big thing that the way the fashion industry has completely become the leader as far as the virtual fashion world is concerned and they are integrating the real world fashion into the virtual world i think it was six months or five i don't remember some months ago where big brand i think it was gucci prada one of these big fancy ones where the bag was sold for a higher price in the metaverse as a digital good than it was sold on fifth avenue in new york city or the same bag so we are so now the big retailers like if you look at bed bath or jc penny and macy's of the world uh the dresses like there are these fashion designers who are making digital dresses so which means that in the digital world when we and then you integrate the nft world into it like a digital mm-hmm. nft dress so are you getting ready to look at these data points for digital product retail so let's say if you have bed bath and beyond and let's say they have a whole kitchen equipment right they have a whole kitchen section and they have physical goods there that they have one pan and one this and there is a whole cycle that you do now imagine if Bed Bath & Beyond creates a virtual Bed Bath & Beyond and they, they land up, let's say, collaborating with Roblox or Fortnite or these kind of games and they have that and you interact. So technically, they are also digital goods. Are you looking to get in, integrated into that space or that is something that you're looking to collaborate with other companies in that same space?
0: I think, uh, you know, our focus as a company, you know, is on data and probably will continue to be on data. But Mm -hmm. remember, data is the original digital good. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all creating data Mm -hmm. and data has a value associated with it. A lot Mm -hmm. of the thought process, therefore, is that how does that data sort of, um, um, you know, data creates value. It creates money eventually for somebody. And how does Mm -hmm. that sort of. Uh, get accessible to people who are creating data. That's where the NFT sort of equation will come into play, uh, right? Uh, because different entities are creating data to ultimately create the final value, and we have mm-hmm. to understand how that value goes back to those to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the metaverse is concerned, I think um, you know the aspect of um, shopping or experiencing in a virtual world is absolutely coming. I mean, that's very true. I mean, as long Mm -hmm. as we can get people to put on those VR headsets, I think that experience is extremely realistic. I've been on at Nvidia where we were so focused on making that experience realistic. And um, I think uh, one of the key things that we are seeing, like when you talk about the bag kind of being selling for more in the metaverse, one of the key things we are seeing is that um, when it comes to these sort of fashion products at the high end, a mm-hmm. lot of it also comes back to the traditional things about recommendation. What yes. goes with what? What creates a look? Now, someone like Poshmark, you know, does that through you know, AI, but they also do that through influencers, you know, people mm-hmm. whose fashion you follow and, you know, all of that stuff, right? Of course. So um, I think uh, data eventually sort of plays a role in making that possible. How do you look your best in your metaverse or create that metaverse experience, um, Where which is kind of a level leveler in In many ways, you know, your presence in metaverse is now not depending on are you on Fifth Avenue and do you have a big store there? Now, you know, this is, uh, you know, you could be a smaller company, more upcoming brand, but you could have the same sort of presence because now it's about attracting audiences, you know, maybe through advertising other mechanisms into coming to your you know virtual store experiencing it and uh you know there there is you know buying of virtual goods but eventually it will also translate to buying of you know real goods as well i mean you are in here to experience that um i just spoke to uh my friend who started a company called avatar.me and Mm -hmm. um it's all about seeing your furniture in your house in your living room it's not a vr experience it's an augmented reality and i tried that and it, it it makes sense so we are absolutely getting in there um, the role that data plays, uh, you know, still you know goes back into discovering products, recommending the right products, making sure, you know, one of the key things that will increase, by the way, is also fraud, and the ability to handle that. Yes. And it's again a very data-driven problem solutions. So our job is to bring that data into the hands of the experts. You could be an expert in fraud, but you can't really deliver if you don't see the necessary data. So our job is to bring their data into their tools where mm-hmm. the experts can make the decisions, whether you're a merchandiser or a catalog manager mm. or a fraud expert, or, you know, a, you know, you're doing customer support or whichever aspect of the ecosystem you're yes.
1: supporting. So I definitely think that you're touching upon the term fraud and how, because the more digital you go, the more, um, Insecure you are getting because you are letting yourself be available in different forms like identity theft is one of the real world problems that has impacted a lot more people because of this data explosion. So I you have become your company is a Gartner cool vendor. Yeah right? Uh, Gartner, obviously, a lot of people know what Gartner stands for. What does it mean for a company, a startup that you started out and then it has grown over the last uh, five, seven years so much? What does it mean for a company to be a cool Gartner vendor? Uh, what kind of security branding that is bring to the table so that it becomes easier for you to convince people, potential clients, that you have an edge above the other? So should do you advise companies who are maybe trying to get to a place where they can just show their business card and people know that okay this is a secure company we can trust him if you could give your, your your story about this journey of becoming a gartner cool vendor yeah gartner
0: cool vendor is all about a focus on innovation you know mm-hmm. realizing that you know certain problems have existed for a mm-hmm. long time and a, a fundamental big innovation or a disruptive innovation or something major has to happen to solve that so what we have been doing on the data side um has been recognized as that okay. which is coming from the understanding that there are thousands or tens of thousands of different systems doing different things and you have to stitch them together you know mm-hmm. the data fabric that we talked about is stitching those things together various systems together to make um that business more advanced and that's where the data sort of part comes in mm-hmm. now the innovation that they recognize is our system can observe data and automatically understand it and automatically get that connector generated. And the amount of automation that we're able to bring in is is a game changer. Mm -hmm. The cool vendor recognition is largely for that. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as creating the trust in customers and saying, hey, we are secure and all those things, it largely comes from the fact that we are, of course, you know, designed for security, but we are certified for SOC 2 Type 2 or, you know, having certifications like ISO, for example, or, you know, again, you know, various best practices of technology design do get considered in the cool vendor, like how is this technology designed? And some technologies, because of, you know, modern know-how are designed better fundamentally for security than maybe others that were not secure and some things were put around them. So okay. security by design versus security by, you know, some sort of ad hoc solution. So So it does recognize that it is security by design from that mm-hmm. perspective, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the trust when I give somebody saying, you know, hey, you are Nexla and you can work with us is coming from um, that a little bit from that cool vendor. Okay, you guys know the technology from mm-hmm. the certifications that outside parties or audit firms have given to us that we are secure and then from the trust of companies you know who are using us the fact that some of the Absolutely. largest companies are running or using us for some very 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 mission critical use cases is a source of trust because their teams have looked at us their teams have buried it out
1: okay. mm-hmm. so what is the biggest um, uh, like security threat for a company like yours that you are constantly working with because I'm sure you have a very big security team that you're constantly working so given what has happened over the last three years and we saw uh, the whole uh, explosion of blockchain and crypto, um, how can we not talk about that? So does blockchain feature in whatever you are planning over the next few years. The retail companies, are they looking at blockchain? Are they looking at crypto? And do they come to you and say, okay, what is this crypto? How do we get in on it? Is there a role for us? Or are we being forced into becoming a part of this crazy, you know, like the way in 90s, as you talked about the dot-com bust, are we looking at another bust happening? Do you advise them to stay away? What is your point of view on this crazy new innovation that is kind of coming at us at such a speed?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, from overall a security perspective, when we look at blockchain, there are are two things to understand. Right, there's one part of blockchain is about a tamper-proof ledger. You know, whatever Mm -hmm. is happening cannot be tampered, and those records are kept nicely. And then there's a currency part of it, which where you know you have your Bitcoin and various sort of currency associated things. So let's separate those two out. Um, You know, as far as the as the as a trusted ledger of what has happened, sort of being there, and the ability to do things like smart contracts where, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, those are parts that next slide, is kind of very centrally sort of, you know, our innovation team is focused on that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, A lot of data security, by the way, comes from the concept of governance. And this is a evolving thing. What data is valuable and who can see it? Of course, someone has to be able to see it, right? But how do we restrict that and and have reasonable policies and execution around that? The Mm -hmm. role that blockchain plays in many ways when we think about data as something that, um, you know, maybe goes from a merchant to a delivery company. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, this is an entity that you can track these things as a ledger. Like, you know, data went from, just like money went from me to you, let's say, or you to me or whatever is being tracked in a financial ledger, a data ledger would be about, hey, what data went from where to where? What was the history of that? Is Can it be trusted? It can be trusted because we know it hasn't been tampered, mm-hmm. you know? And why it hasn't even tampered is because the record keeping is happening in the tamper-proof ledger like a blockchain, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. there is a part of data and, and the ability for companies to trust that data and to use it and to track it and, therefore, you know, maybe figure out what is the right sort of financial structure for them to collaborate around that is is kind of where one of the places it will play. As far as the pure play currency, and and there's a smart contract part to it as well, which comes from when two companies decide and they do an agreement and say, I'll give you this and you will give me this. A smart contract is allowing you to automatically validate and execute that transaction without a third party kind of sitting in between, Mm. you know, and Mm. it's being that digital escrow person or entity And I think that will happen a lot more. Um, It hasn't happened that much yet. Understanding that. I'm solving a problem, you know, back to our problem-solving thing, mm-hmm. I'm solving a problem for a customer, you know, at the end of the day. And to solve that problem, I need to bring in data from all of these places and do that, and the ability to leverage the data from other places will lead to smart contracts around data. And I think, you know, next I certainly play a part in that. As far as the pure play currency part of the blockchain is concerned, I'm less clear. I think, you know, it becomes probably a financial instrument, just like, you know, Everything. cash followed by credit card, fired by BNPL, followed by maybe this. I don't know okay great
1: so one of the things based on whatever i see like if i had to sum up the use of blockchain in the big data one of the things i see and you know i'm surrounded by people in new york who are in the financial world and they take a lot of data and they do a lot of projections of pricing and the bond markets and all of that financial world one of the things i feel is foolproof if this blockchain is foolproof where you have done a ledger system the data that you collect and then you process and show it to your your customer for retailers taking that data that this was the original data and put it in the blockchain so that whatever results that come out of it they can figure out that this uh, result has not been tampered with because that data the raw data has been put in the ledger so that the raw data cannot be tampered with itself. Mm -hmm. So I am seeing like some of the people uh, like Uh, um, colleagues that I've been talking to are working with big data in, let's say, the commodities market or the equities market. They are talking about using data as a stamp that, okay, this was the original data and this is the result and that data has not been tampered with because there's a lot of um, customized analysis and storytelling you have to do with data as well. Now, that deviation How much of that is lie, and how much of that is allowed in the financial world? I am thinking that would be a good use of this blockchain to prove that the data has not been tampered with. Is that something that you see uh, uh, becoming prevalent, the use of uh, securing data by blockchain stamp?
0: Um, I think certainly uh, as a certificate of authenticity, I think at least you know in the retail world, the way we think about this is there's so many marketplaces, by the way, also, and they have to be mm-hmm. with fraud. Like, is this bag actually authentic or yes. has it been tampered? Is it a fake and stuff like that? And there are obviously those sort of uh you know, um um token or NFT-based sort of ways to, to to look at that thing. Um, from a pure play data stamped as like, okay, this is trusted. One of the things, I think absolutely yes to your question. Yes, okay. That will certainly happen. One okay. of the things we do have to understand is that, you know, data volumes out there are in, you know, trillions and zillions of records. So blockchain technology is not at a point where it can scale at a record by record level, but you can take big swaths of data and say, hey, all this whole chunk of data that we have has been recorded and it has been okay. you know it is um trackable and 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 have a smart contract associated with who can access that and in what condition and okay. so on uh, and i think that that is absolutely you know going to happen but the difference is that while stock market data is much more standard and well understood mm. um, a lot of the data that we see with like for example um, data about all kinds of customer support requests and how mm-hmm. helping people do a better job of that may or may not be a standard to say and you know correct, or, correct, correct. or tampering because may not be necessarily the sort of biggest at that point those yeah ways.
1: yeah that, that might not be a criteria so yeah. so clearly you are in a very serious business and you do yeah. you work with serious numbers so I'm going to take you away and bring you to my world which is my Bollywood world and fun world mm-hmm. so we'll do some little fun <laughs> things Okay. so yeah. firstly uh, give Given that the kind of career you have, I don't even know whether you have time to watch TV or shows. So I'm just going to ask some random questions. But if you have the answers, please give. This is just fun. yeah, I do sometimes watch stuff. Yeah. Okay. So currently, what is your favorite program? Latest? What have you watched?
0: Uh, I most recently finished The Witcher. Uh it's oh, a show on Netflix. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. What did you like I'm about that? I'm a big fan first? of
0: that. Um, it's, it's a, um, it's a fascinating story, which has, you know, um, of course it has Henry Cavill, which is a big thing. Um, but it has, uh, all these magical stories, um, about magicians and mages and, and witchers and monsters and all that stuff. So it's a fantasy land completely. And I like those kind of shows that, you know, uh, take you in a completely different world. You Fantastic.
1: Know? Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the latest book you have read or are you reading? Um, I'm actually most
0: recently reading, I'm always reading multiple books as far as the business thing is concerned. Because um, I, I I jump into a specific chapter page, read, read five pages and put on the side. So most recent was a book called The Cold Start Problem. It's by um, one of the guys who was early in the growth team at Uber. And he mm. shares a lot of examples of companies, you know, across the board, Twitch, Twitter, you know, all these companies and how they have solved specific growth challenges in the company, especially around network businesses in the sense that there's a network effect of users and consumers. I'm, I'm quite fascinated by, you know, you never get to know what is happening inside these companies, by the way. You just oh, see I'm, the outcome. Yes. And it's so fascinating to hear, like, how did they look at the problems? like the business case study. Right. Um, so yeah, when do we fun. see your
1: book on the shelf?
0: <laughs> I don't know
1: okay I'll, I'll look for <laughs> that
0: okay. maybe you will write it What? how about
1: that <laughs> okay wow favorite superhero
0: um I think um I do like Iron Man I would say Okay. It's we, a little bit cliché, yeah. Okay. But yeah. My kids are into transforming, so I'm a little bit drawn to that.
1: But. Oh come on, don't do things that kids do. Don't be that dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You are from yeah. my neighbor in India. So favorite. Yeah. So clearly you've grown up on Bollywood, I'm assuming you're from Rachi, yeah. my generation. Favorite Bollywood star.
0: Um
1: I think I'm a big fan of Amir Khan okay. and his movies in general. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now, if you had to have an alter ego, your digital twin in the metaverse, oh, what would? Uh, yes. So, what would that be? Like, are you are we in Bollywood terms or in general? No, anything. It could be Hollywood, Bollywood, some fantasy land, whatever, which are inspired. Don't care. Your, uh, your. I'd probably be
0: them. a stand up comic. You know, that's my oh, yeah. role in the family. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah.
1: Great. If you were a stand up comedian and I was a big fan, the first thing would be, kuch thoda sunao. that's the standard that they say. I, uh,
0: it's the second comedy. Comedy's taken off quite a bit. Um, in yes. oh, I love yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Some
1: of the people who started it, like, I follow them and they have made life so much nicer, even though, yeah. unfortunately, right now, 60% of them can't speak their mind out in India or yes. do that matter but hopefully that will change stand up comedy is about observing the day to day and finding something so
0: precise and insightful and funny in that and I'm like oh my god absolutely I'm always awed by how smart these people will be to oh observe these
1: things. I, I mean and and I just go there and I just so many and I can understand the fear that parents have that oh my god my kids are constantly on the phone for six hours because there's just so much fun content from them you just oh, yeah. keep laughing because you don't want to you know look at the real world and face the real world so do you have trouble with your kids on screen time
0: um a little bit how old Very are they? Much? they they are uh my kids are 11 8 and 4 oh, i'm wow. still in a point where i can uh control and be their boss i think i'm that control is slipping i can see yeah that. the top
1: one is just going to get there in two years and then you will be the most loser father ever <laughs>
0: They have a phone and I control every single app and website they can use and for what time and when it's as going away now. soon. As, soon. Of, <laughs> as okay. yeah. And what's
1: your opinion on virtual reality? Do you see data? This is the last question because virtual reality, augmented reality, AI, whether we like it or not, this is the new world. Next 30 years is the creator economy. The future of retail is digital. We are looking at entering a space that we are, we don't know what will look like 20 years from now. So for you, as it is parents are constantly struggling with screen time with their kids but on the other hand there are there is this race for vr ar vr headsets there's not been enough studies yet companies like nvidia and the top guys everybody is innovating where how do you create the balance between your moral obligation towards n- not going you know, blindly into that because you don't know what the repercussions would be. But yet, because it's innovation, you ha- you are constantly looking at it and figuring out the use for it. How do you tell yourself, is it the right time or not? How do you... Create that. Yeah, look,
0: I'm, I'm personally a, a big fan of new technology and VR I've been in the video gaming world myself I'm also a pilot so I've worked in simul- uh, use simulators where it looks realistic and I can see that VR is you know is capable of creating such a realistic experience in the online world mm-hmm. um, so there are be- you know what will happen with this technology and how will it create value versus how will it create different new types mm-hmm. of action I think that's how we need mm-hmm. to understand that mm-hmm. and you know as a parent, um, I'm all for my kids getting that experience. I don't want them to grow up and then 15 years later, like, oh, you know, a lot of, by the way, modern day innovators came from playing video games. You know, I look at the backgrounds of many many people. They got interested in technology because of video gaming and, and who knows what the new technology will create and all that stuff. I think the important thing that is hard for parents and we have to do in general is uh, when is technology useful to you and when are you controlling it versus when it, it, when is it controlling you? When can you not let go of that thing because you're sort of becoming a little bit addicted to that i think that's a general grounding we have to give to kids in anything you know it could yes. have been something else you know 10 years ago or 20 years ago it will be something else 30 years from now so you know that's um, we just you give them the basic framework and formulas or the way to think about life and what is important and what is not okay. and hopefully they make the right call right
1: Right, absolutely. Thank you so much, Saket. It has been an extremely enlightening conversation and I do hope that I didn't come across like a complete idiot who didn't understand data at all. So I hope you didn't have to teach me ABCs and you got to say a few things to your audience. And one last uh, advice to the next generation who will listen to these uh, interviews and who are probably interested in reaching out to you, what would you like to tell them? like as an advice to the young kids of today who are crazy about data and data analysis?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, data is a very essential raw material. You know, if you think about uh, the current world versus an industrial world, data is that raw material. And what do we create out of it is out there for us to all discover. So I think it's a very fascinating space for anybody who's interested in data. I would say definitely go in, understand the fundamentals of how, uh, you know, what data is valuable because it's also very noisy. You know, you can just be yes. lost in a lot of data. So again, we always go back from what is the end outcome we are looking for and how does data help me as a tool, as a raw material to get there. It's, it's a fascinating space. I think a lot will come.
1: Okay, thank you so much. Um, uh, th- and this is Shelja signing off uh, episode number three with uh, Saket Saurabh from uh, Nexla. He's the co-founder CEO. And I'm here with my producer Sachin from Retail Corner. And I hope to see you soon again with a new guest and learn a lot more with me thank you and bye
0: if you wish to have a conversation with us then email us at retailcorner at proxima360.com or visit our website at the retailcorner.proxima360.com thank you so much for tuning in stay safe
1: and see you next time